Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 353, Release the Pain of Past Relationships to Create the Love You Deserve. I'm Sandy Weiner. I'm a host of Last First Date Radio, where we believe it's never too late to have the love you want and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards that she deserves in life and in love. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Dr. Gary Salier about his new book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships to Create the Love You Deserve. About 11 years ago, I became a certified life coach, and I specialize in coaching women over 40 to find love. And I do that by helping them learn how to truly value themselves, to speak up more powerfully in a more connected way, and to stand up for the things that matter most to them. In short, I help them become what I call a woman of value. And every week I bring you a tip on how to become a woman of value, and this week's tip is don't be a people pleaser. This is a big, big pet peeve of mine, and it's something that I help almost every single client overcome because many times, especially if you grow up in a dysfunctional home with codependency, you learn to compensate by pleasing others. That's how you get attention, and we probably will talk a little bit about that today with um, Dr. Salier because a lot of people's brains get wired incorrectly for love, um, and they end up using people-pleasing as a way to get attention, to get love, and it doesn't work. Um, so um, the people-pleaser cure is to really start to think before you give and align with your values instead of always being other-focused. Get really clear on what your values are, what are the most important things to you. And before I bring on our guest, I wanted to just let you know that if you are interested in a beautiful support group that helps you to go on your last first date, I have a Facebook group called Your Last First Date. It is a it's a positive, supportive place where you can go for really grounded feedback. Um, not there's just no what I call a shit show happening there. Um, we we are heavily monitored so that the posts that get put up are all there to help you grow as a person to be able to go on your last first date. And now for my special guest, Dr. Gary Sellier. He has written a book uh, based on a field of study called attachment theory, which is the science of intimate relationships. His insights have a profound and often immediate impact. He's a transformational relationship mentor. He helps people rewrite the rules for love in their brains, and he empowers single people to reclaim their rights for a full soulmate relationship. He also helps couples resolve their conflicts and differences so they can have the love that they dream about. Therapists are saying that his new approach will change the way therapists do therapy. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thank you, Sandy. I'm so happy to be here. Great being on your show today. Thank you. Uh, So I'm loving your book. We talked a little bit before we went on air. And uh, you really are very transparent in the book. And I would love for you to share with us what was the inspiration behind writing this book. Well, 
for me, it really did begin as a child, growing up in a very dysfamily family, uh, functional family, and you know they were alcoholics. Some, my mother had mental illness, and I, I at seven, I kind of noticed, wow, nobody's happy, nobody really loves each other, and why is that? Uh, and I decided that I didn't want to be miserable with divorce. I, I had a holy crusade to say I will never be divorced. So when I went to college, and I was the first person in, in seven generations to graduate from high school, mind you, it was oh. that was my goal. Make sure you don't ever get a divorce. So I rolled in psychology and I had a religion degree. And my senior year, professor calls me and says, hey, we'd like to do a personality test. And a couple of days later, he's got the results, and he tells me I've got a personality, you know. And just as I'm leaving his office, he says, oh, forgot to tell you, by the way, you got a 90% chance of having a divorce. And uh. it, was, it was like a grenade going off. Uh, I was like, are you kidding me? And within two hours, I told the dean that I would not be uh, graduating that spring, that I was going to do a fifth year to get another degree in marriage and family. So, dodge that bullet. <laughs> and then tw- <laughs> and 12 years later, when when my wife says, I want a divorce, I'm floored. I, I, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I did everything I could not to be here. And so I doubled down, in the, you know, and I did workshops and, you know, read books. And I did like seven plus years of therapy to make sure I got it worked out this time. And then I remarried, and four years later, I'm looking at it again, and I am really having one of those moments. So then I do more therapy, and I'm, then I begin to notice a pattern that while therapy had done me a lot of good, I was managing my pain, not really transforming. And it had not changed my core style of relating, and now I was so afraid of love, I was showing up as Mr. Wrong. It was on me. And I thought, you know, I've tried everything, studied everything. I've got the degrees. And if they can't crack it, then I will. Because nobody should work this hard for lasting love and it not pan out. And so that's, that's when I, I decided that I would, I would find out, if it was the last thing I ever did, what creates lasting love. So that was that's how I came to write the book and after 10 years or 12 years of doing the research and working with clients and watching what works and what didn't um, coming up with a brand new theory uh, that actually works I've used including on therapists <laughs> who said how did you do that uh-huh. you know uh, yeah you know, then I wrote the book yeah wow so uh, I can relate to your story on many levels <laughs> I also grew up with a dysfunctional family who mm-hmm. got divorced. Uh, they, my parents got divorced when we all left the house, and I vowed to never get divorced, and I set out to do everything <laughs> in my power, and I got divorced. And also the reason I went into this field was because I knew there had to be a better way, and I knew that there were definitely skills that I was missing based on my upbringing, based on the patterns that I kept repeating. So I think it's such an important thing to self-reflect. I mean, you had taken so many so many courses and, and had degrees, and still you were repeating patterns. And so, so where did you learn about attachment theory? You know, as I began to, you know, I started off studying 
neurolinguistic programming, NLP, and then, you know, and I really found that that non-pathologizing to be way more transformational, you know, that nothing's wrong with you, you know, that your brain just took the best deal available. Um, and I still have a problem with attachment theory. It's good at giving labels, but, you know, a label in five bucks just might get you something at Starbucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and you know, and when most people read attachment theory, something like attached from Amir Levine, the what I've picked up from most people is it's helpful, it's descriptive, and it gives you a label, and it might as well say I'm screwed if you're anxious or avoidant. And that's not uh-huh. hope. We live in a generation where we're afraid we're, that we're not enough. There's an epidemic of of not worthiness and undeserving and hopelessness. And I and a lot of people walk away from. Uh, books like that and say, I feel hopeless. Um, and because it doesn't tell you the roadmap back to the secure love style that creates lasting. It tells you how to cope. Mm-hmm. You know, like the advice is if you're anxious, find someone who's secure. But the secure often aren't attracted to the anxious because they have rights for better stuff, as I put it in the book. So that's mm-hmm. not really, you know, what if this, the anxious could become secure uh by really changing stuff that's deep down inside. That's that's what the book is about. It's about knowing you have a right to go back home to the secure love style that you were born to have and born with, you know, uh, and that some part just gave, you know, said, you know, whatever I had in childhood was not the best deal, and some part of you had to pull back from love because it wasn't safe or it it wasn't whatever it needed to be, and now we can give you a better set of rights so you can have a better love. Yeah, so and, you call them rights, and which I found mm-hmm. very interesting. So can you uh, talk about these rights and what are they and talk talk a little bit about them? Yeah, in the book I say that, you know, there are these four feelings that create lasting love and all masters. The people who have lasting love give freely and receive freely. And those four feelings are welcomed with joy, worthy and nourished, to have your needs met, cherished and protected means you get to be a me and an empowering we, not one or the other, not all we, not all me, and empowered with choice. Now, and you were talking about that a lot in the uh, uh, the, um, the the prologue here. Um, you talked mm-hmm. about being worthy, you know, for to have that last first date, uh, an empowering yeah. one. Now, when Underneath that, these feelings give you certain permission slips. Your brain is given feelings between zero and three, particularly between zero and one. And the feelings you get about yourself and others in the world are what tell you who to pick, and they tell you how to create and maintain a relationship. So if you're welcomed into the world and your your parents go, ooh, little Sandy there, oh, it's so cute, glad you're here, that gives you welcome, the feeling of welcome with joy. And that gives you a right to exist. It's okay to be in the world, to be in your body. The world is a cozy oyster. And it's you have a right to feel welcome. So that when you grow up, that right to feel welcomed and to exist, you find a man that says that wakes up in the morning and looks at you and says, Good morning, gorgeous. You know, that's what that's about. Now, the mm-hmm. next right is a right to have your needs met. And when parents reach back and give you all that you need, or our spouses as well, our partners, you know, and they're making track of what you really need and what your patterns and preferences are. And it's okay to reach out 
and to take and receive, not just give, like you were talking about earlier, but to receive as well. Then you get the feeling, I'm worthy, and I'm worthy mm-hmm. and nourished. And then you, you don't pick a taker because you know you're worthy of more than that. You're deserving. Right. Uh-huh. Then the next one up is when the child learns to separate. And, you know, like the little toddler, they go, well, wait a minute. I'm over here. Mom's over there. I'm a me. But they know they're kind of vulnerable. They know they need backup. They need support. You know how kids, well, they don't want you to play with them, but they don't want you to leave the room either. They want separation uh-huh. and supervision. They want a me and a we. And that's the template for all great couples. You get to be a me in an empowering, supportive we, where you know you have a home port in someone's heart and that uh-huh. which is feeling a cherished and protected and then though and then after that do you have a right to create your own experience that means i i get to be the standard of my experience and someone supports it and backs it up i i can be fully human good and bad loving not so loving strong and weak all those things and you can create your own experience and you can co-create with somebody that gives you the feeling of empowerment choice and also a right to assert You've, you're given voice and choice. You can you can choose your wins in the relationship, and they're going to help you choose your wins. That gives you also the feeling of empowerment choice. And then when you add welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered up, your brain does that about age three, and it makes up what's the last right is a right to love and be loved. This is, oh, I'm lovable. And I get a chance to love someone and be loved back. The other way it gets split is I get a chance to be to be loved, but I don't love back. Uh, so it's love someone and be loved back. When you have all six of these rights, the right to exist, have your needs met, to to be in a cherishing we, to feel empowered with choice by creating your own experience and having a voice, and you feel worthy of loving and being loved right back, that's when you create and maintain and pick partners who will create a lasting love with you. And if you don't have all those, then you'll choose someone that is a taker or someone who will dominate you or someone that won't love you, (laughs) won't welcome you, and then no one Uh feels good. Yep. We always have the experience we have the rights for. I I love this, and I think it's so clear. And Mm -hmm. there's this great study you talk about, about facial recognition with a mother, um, the still face. Was that Mm -hmm. called? Yes. Yes. Um, that was interesting, and at how what the infants' reaction to their mother, depending on how the mother is with a newborn. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, what they did is uh, they wanted to see what happens when children emotionally, and when mothers emotionally disappear. So they have a little experiment. It only runs a couple minutes, <coughs> and where it was Edtronic out of the. Uh, did this study, oh, I think it was University of Massachusetts at Boston. And the, the mother and baby are playing and the, and the baby is making pointing things and they're attuning and they're, you know, giggling and, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden they ask the mom just to hold a still face, to, to not respond to anything. They go totally blank. And at first the child goes, you can see the utter surprise. And then they start pointing and they start laughing and then they then they start protesting, ah, you know, with that big loud screech that kids make. And then as then, when mom doesn't come back, all of a sudden they just start turning away. They shut down. And if if you're inside that baby's body, cortisol is raging, all sorts of stress. And then they have the reunion, and then and uh, 
mom comes back. And that's really important for age. I just saw on Friday night, uh, not Diane Sawyer, but um, it was on 2020. It was all about our digital uh, watching things on phones. And they've done a version of this where instead of just holding a still face they have, the mother just start looking at a cell phone. Uh-huh. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. In the last 10 years, what we've done is to do a mammoth still face experiment on society without the reunion after two minutes. And uh, all it does is create anxious or avoidant patterns because we are expecting attuned responses. And we're not getting, we're training our children to tune out. And then we wonder what the next generation is going to be like. And it's not very good. So it's yeah, important. It's that's welcome. Yeah, that's welcome with joy. You know, when you, if you make a bid for attention, couples, good couples, lasting couples respond to each other's bids of attention 86% of the time. And the disasters, 33% of the time. If, you know, so the still experiment, still face experiment is telling us that we have to turn off our digital selves so we can be our attuned selves with our children and with each other. That's welcome with joy. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, So can you share a patient story, a client story um, of someone who was able to successfully rewire their brain for love? Okay. Um, let's, I, one of my favorites uh, uh, is Sabrina <laughs> in the book, and I talk about it uh, under the right to love and be loved. Um, she came in, and um, she was, you know, about 35, very professional woman, um, and happily married, three kids, and her. And when she sits down on the couch, she looks at the side of the couch where couples usually sit, like something's missing, and she immediately starts to cry uh, uh, uncontrollably. And she, and she finally gets the words out: "If my husband ever finds out, I will lose everything that's dear to me." And it turns out that she goes. You know, I've been married for 15 years, you know, and um, every six months I have an affair. Never for long, never real meaningful, just five or six, you know, get-togethers, you know. Um, and uh, she goes, it's because I just can't turn it loose. I can't enjoy my husband. And she goes, it has nothing to do with him. She goes, you know, he's done everything I've ever asked. He, Most women would find him a perfectly wonderful lover, but I just can't enjoy him. I can't let it loose with him. And the word enjoy kept coming out. He says, I've got to, to, to find a way out of this because if I don't, I'm going to lose a man that I love and my three children and my home, and I don't understand why I, the only time I can let it loose is with these men that don't matter to me, that they don't care about me. So when we, the word enjoy kept coming up, I can't enjoy him. And I, we, we tracked that back to the little one who was three or four. Mommy and daddy did not have a really, really great relationship. In fact, daddy got more emotional support from his daughter than he did his wife. And nothing sexually inappropriate at all, nothing at all. But mom catches notice of this, and of course, guess what? She's jealous of her daughter because the daughter gets what she can't from her husband. And the day comes when the father buys her a pretty red dress and rolls her in a beauty pageant. 
And when they come back, the words are spoken by mom. Did you enjoy daddy? Did you enjoy daddy? And so every time they do a beauty pageant together, she gets the phrase, did you enjoy daddy? The template. So she pulls back deliberately from enjoying her father. She goes, so that I don't lose my mom's love. The best deal available is not to enjoy the love of a man. Okay, so you don't lose your mother. At two, three, four, and five, that's the best deal available. Nobody wants to lose their mother, and that's not even survivable. That becomes her template. It splits the right to love and be loved, which also includes a sexual element for adults, not so much for three-year-olds, but for, you know, so she had a full right to love him, but not to be loved in a sexual manner. When we gave her back a full right to love and be loved, and including to be sexual, things changed. So much so that we brought him in, and he goes, what did you do to my wife? Uh-huh. <laughs> and we updated you know, and, we, and then we had to update him. She wanted to come clean, and we had to work with that. And he was every bit the prince of a husband. He said to me once, you know, I always wondered why there was such a sad look on her face, and I just learned to accept it over the last 15 years. And the last thing he said to me, they were walking out the office door, and he gets about 10 feet out, and he turns back to me and says, Doc, I'm going to love the next 15 years. <laughs> oh, that's what great story. You know, we, just, we just gave her back, and there was you know her brain at one time. You can understand why it it created that template, that missing right, because it it's not survival. So if anybody's out there, just notice that whatever experience you're having is probably a replay of something way earlier in life, maybe in an earlier relationship as an adult, but most likely that was simply the best deal available and the road to transformation is finding out what flavor of safety your brain was seeking back there when it pulled off maybe the right to have your needs or the right to create your experience and then to give it that flavor of safety back so you can tie your safety to what your dreams are in terms of being loved. Mm. Yeah, We came by it naturally. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing what can transform with the right support. I yeah. um uh, I was watching, have you ever seen the show Wonderlust? I have not seen Wonderlust, but I've heard of it. (laughs) So I started watching it, and the premise is there's a therapist who's the central character, and she and her husband are having trouble connecting, being intimate. They've lost lust and connection, and they decide to have an open marriage. Mm. And And they're very open about it. They even meet each other's uh, significant others, and everything starts to blow up because it's really not working. But what? And she, during the show, they are also what we were watching her in her own therapy with her therapist. And one of the most significant moments was when her therapist really called her on her the reason behind why she has to have sex with strangers, with people that she's not intimate with, and. Of course, it tied back to her childhood, it tied back to connection and feeling of intimacy and tied back to her father. And uh, And I found that to be one of the most profound things. I mean, she, she really helped unlock a piece that she was holding so tightly. And yeah. so I think that, you know, when somebody helps us see the patterns and helps us to unlock them, it is life-changing. 
it, it can be. It can be. It's interesting. I had once had a client. Uh, they were dealing. They were. They both wanted poly, right? A polyamorous relationship. But mm-hmm. the rules got broken by him. They had strict rules about how far you could go, and he broke them multiple times. And mm-hmm. and he said, well, you know, this is this is a very strong philosophy for me. It's well-reasoned. And he started giving me all sorts of stuff from evolutionary psychology. And I could have argued with him on that. But, you know, it, you know whatever that the logic was, the story is usually made to justify, you know, whatever else was going on. And I've had a couple of clients that were polyamorous, and when they stuck, the couples, when stuck with the rules, they could still have a good relationship. But when they broke the rules, that became a different issue on all the ones that did. So, but what it came down to was he had a mother who was very not there, very narcissistic, and he, the template, he couldn't get his needs met with his mom. So he said, I found out I had to, as a child, I had to seek out other women in the family and other friends, you know, to get my needs met as a kid. And I said, so you had to have a poly relationship with your mother. And he looked mm. at me and he said, oh, God, are you telling me I got this at three? And I said, yep. this is a philosophy? <laughs> I go, no, it's cleverly disguised philosophy. <laughs> but mm. in this instance, and, he, and, he, and it was like, oh, my God. He says, so this is why. I, I, he says, at some point in time, the template of getting your needs met through a mom was not safe. You couldn't get your needs met, and that's not pretty cool. That's not cool at two. But that's not working so well in your marriage now. <laughs> yeah. She's dying yeah. for you to make her the center of your world and this is and this is an old fear and an old template and this is a missing right you have a right you had better rights it too you don't have to keep going with them and then we had to yeah. work really helping his brain feel empowered with that um you'd be surprised the amount of times people it doesn't only be that one i've heard other missing rights you know why uh that are just cleverly disguised, especially the more educated they get, uh, philosophies. And it really is just a missing right, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many stories that if people would just look into, like, where these patterns started, they would be able to connect the dots. So let's say you do figure it out. Okay, you had a poly relationship with your mother. You had you didn't get the love you needed from a parent. You um, you had mixed messages from your family. How do you start to rewire the brain? What are some of the steps that people take to reclaim their rights? Well, the first is to realize you're worthy. You're worthy. These are rights. Life gave you them. Mom, dad can't take away. This, these are gifts of life. You have every organism on the planet has a right to have its needs met. You know, uh, the amoeba does not say, I can't take in uh, nutrients today. We all have that. So you are worthy and deserving, and at some point in, you got the message. And then it's to, and then it's to do the deep work. Now, uh, the book is a roadmap for so that people can really see, oh, this is what's really underneath. And there are skill sets for couples so they know how to give these feelings because it's key. So if you have always felt, oh, my God, I've never felt welcomed, probably, you know, or I've never felt worthy, I've, you know, and it goes back and it's, this looks like a groundhog day in all of your relationships, then it's about going back and doing the deep work with 
And it's not easy to do it by yourself. I've had some people try it who have read the book tell me, oh, I can go out and do that by myself. And one person was a, you know, a change worker. And when I, I said, how are you doing that? And she was telling me how she was reciting these needs, except the one need that she didn't hear. She had way more right to separate than to belong, and she was seeing all of these rights through the prism of her bigness and right that she was blind to. She was never going to reset her system to secure that way. So you find someone who really can help you restore these rights, uh, even though I know it's a new concept out there because I just wrote the book, but it's important to do the deep mm-hmm. work and to stop making yourself wrong. Um, that will stop you in your track because nobody wants to be wrong, so then you stop doing the work. But, you know, it's like a, a woman came to me at an event uh, uh, about a month ago, and a friend had read the book, and she called over this other friend. She goes, come over here and meet, you know, Dr. Gary. Um, and he says, he's got this new book on love. And she looks at me, turns stone white, uh, Sandy, and she goes, oh, no, not another book to tell me how wrong I am. Mm-hmm. And so that will stop you. So you, your brain just took the best deal available, and it's your birthright. To, it will take a better deal. It's called neuroplasticity. That's a nice scientific term. But your brain is wired to adapt. If it adapted at first, it can readapt again. So there's hope. And anything that feels like hopelessness is just your brain taking legitimate options off the brain to protect you from this past pain. So there's, you're deserving, there's hope, and it's just doing the deep work and knowing you have a birthright. And you have to work with someone who's professional, usually, um, you know, uh, if it's really deep pain because it's hard doing it on ourselves. But this is doable change. And this, the book gives you your brain's original roadmap because by the time you were one years old you had either an anxious secure or avoidant unless something later happened and that happens sometimes and these four feelings are your new roadmap for love if you're not feeling welcomed and worthy and cherished and protected just think in your relationships one to ten do i feel your current maybe your husband or your, your if you're single whoever you're dating do i feel welcomed do i feel worthy do i feel cherished and do i feel empowered that's your roadmap. And if you're not, then something's off in the relationship and in uh, and, and the way you're picking things. And it's it is keep in your and it's it's all redoable change. It's all doable change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk for a moment about today's culture of dating and relationships, which is pretty messed up. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of flakiness, ghosting, of the paradox of choice too many people online i could just swipe again i don't really get to know people how do we how do we forge lasting relationships in this in this culture well it is the modern dating culture is a petri dish of un, undeserving i'll grant you that it's an epidemic i mean when you get ghosted who feels worthy you know when people do endless texting and i think part of the problem and i talk about it in the book is online dating is about compatibility list it's about checking oh gosh i'd like someone over six foot and you know he makes six figures and as he read dostoevsky oh pilates would good you know <laughs> does he hike <laughs> yes <laughs> you, know, you know and when people get this i mean who lives up to any of these long lists i've had clients come in with 64 different lists it's a long list mm-hmm. not only does right. it narrow things down but it makes all of us feel unworthy. It's like we're in a, a we're all in a real estate market, and we're try- and it doesn't feel good. 
But the worst part about it is we know the research tells us that when couples break up, couples break up and they blame compatibility rather than the real culprit, which is the quality of the marital friendship or the quality of the mm-hmm. dating friendship. They're not looking at these four feelings. So it distracts us from our real GPS for love. Uh, the, the real GPS is go back to your brain's original programming of using welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered. If you use these, a few things from the list are fine. I, I had a client a few months ago, a new client, came in and said, first session, oh, I just want to let you know, um, I've hit the jackpot online. Uh, and I go, oh, tell me about the jackpot. He says, oh, he's a doctor, you know. <laughs> well, within three weeks, four weeks, she knows this guy's not right because he's terrible. He's also over, he's over 6'2", he's good looking, you know. He's got that George uh-huh. Clooney thing going on, right? <laughs> but she never <laughs> right. feels cherished, and she never feels worthy and not welcomed half the time. So they they break up, and we continue doing the work because she's starting to feel more worthy. Now, a few months later, she's online, and there's another Mr. Jackpot, this time an attorney, right, who's over six foot, right? Um, and there's another guy. He's decent looking, you know, good, solid job, but he shows up in a Hawaii T-shirt, I mean, a Hawaiian shirt versus a silk uh, suit, <laughs> you know, and he's got okay. a little pudge to him. He's a little bald, and he makes her feel great, uh-huh. and she gets it. And she chooses him, and and then she says, "This is the happiest." See, before she wasn't, she didn't have, she had a missing right to feel worthy and more right to be separate than to belong. So she found a man that would these jackpots, even though they look like the list, they were reflecting missing rights. And one way or another, her brain picked what she had rights for: someone who wouldn't make her feel worthy, wouldn't make her feel cherished, and sometimes not welcomed. When we restored the rights, she was more worthy. She felt more welcomed. And now she had a right to all that, and she did not choose. This is the key thing. And uh, I've even known male clients who have, the one of the funniest ones was when we restored the feeling of worthy to him. He had before, he said, I always date drama queens, that, and I'm always afraid of them walking away because he didn't feel worthy. He calls me up one time. He says, something's changed because of the work. I go, what's going on? He says, he says women have got their stuff together are actually being attracted to me now. I don't understand this. <laughs> <laughs> it, changed, it changed who was attracted to him. These these women yeah. had their stuff together, knew he was had he felt worthy, and they could give it back. So it not only changes who we're attracted to, and how we relate, but how who's attracted back. These four feelings and these rights are the core of what makes love work. And if you pay attention to yeah. those versus compatibility, you know that's the path to a to a last first date is is. Like you're saying, we're, you and I are working on the same thing, lasting. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, and and looking at what's really important, and people usually get it wrong. And like you said, you know, they're looking at common interests. You know, we both like the same music, and we like to ski, and those are not lasting. And I I had a client, potential client, once call me, and she said, the guy I meet has to be a golfer. And I said, oh, so that's a must-have? So, like, what happens if he, three years down the road, his he breaks his legs and he can't play golf again? Are you going to get divorced? Like, what, what kind of criteria is he has to be a golfer? And But people focus on these things, and it keeps them single, and it keeps them in terrible relationships, you know. Or I see on my 
in my group. Great guy. He's the greatest guy in the world. But he's, you know, controlling and he gets into a rage when he drinks and he's not the greatest guy in the world. <laughs> and they that's their litmus. That's their litmus for what's what's great. So Yeah. yeah. So as as it's, we come to a close here, now go, mm-hmm. go ahead, and then I want to hear one, well, one I would last think thing from you. That's the problem with visualizations. You know, you visualize and you get all these pictures, but it's really your brain is using feelings, <laughs> and that's uh-huh. why we get disappointed because that same golfer could go out and say, "Honey, you know, I'm going to be out with the guys again this week, but it's the third time this week. I know, honey, but I got to go out with my guy friends." <laughs> yep. 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 You don't communicate well. The person isn't there to support you. You don't feel worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we come to a close, what is the most important thing that you would like people to take away from your book? The most important thing is that, you know, you deserve a lasting love. You deserve to have a love that lasts. And you have a right to feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and protected and empowered with choice most of the time in a relationship. No one's perfect. <laughs> We're not putting that up there, right? Um, but uh-huh. and there's real hope available. This can change. If you're anxious or avoidant, don't make yourself wrong. Some part of you just took the best deal, and it will gladly take a better deal. And if you do the deep work, you can have real hope because you deserve a love that lasts. And this is just, uh, and I'm just giving people the brain's real blueprint for love and not the one that's coming out of um, technology land these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's real connection, real love, and um, we're, we're definitely missing a lot of that, that is for sure. Yeah. Um, well, this is fantastic, and I really hope people read your book because it is, is a well worth the read, and doing the work is the most important part. Um, and I know you have little connections to your website where people can, you know, do deeper work and find extra support. So tell tell our audience how they can find your book and how they can find you. Okay. Well, the book is on Amazon. It's called Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. You'll notice because it's got a beautiful red heart balloon rising above the clouds of uh, turmoil and you know, you have voted on that, Sandy. That's <laughs> that right. <laughs> you know, you voted on it, and it's got a beautiful sunrise of the of the dawn of a new day of love. So it's safe to love you on Amazon. Um, then on my website, there's two things. If you want to do more talking, I have a one hour. I call it a love map session. You can call. You can contact me at my love at uh, GarySalyer.com. S-A-L-Y-E-R. Um, we can t- set that up. And then there's also. Down there, it's called Love Notes from Dr. Gary. There are two to four minute videos on some of them preview the book. Um, and uh, there's also some videos there for both singles and couples um, by John Gray, Ariel Ford, uh, Paul Carrick Brunson. One couple in um, Oregon contacted me on Facebook. They were both twice divorced. They were engaged. They were ready to break up. And when they read, I mean, they listened to these heartfelt videos. It saved their engagement, and I got to see the pictures on Facebook of them having a marriage and uh, being married in uh, Paris. So, uh, yeah, oh, it was really beautiful. It was really <laughs> beautiful. They 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 Facebook messaged me and told me the story of how the videos saved their engagement. Um, and he 
he found them and he said, you want to watch, honey? And they said, oh, my God, that's us. That's us. Oh, there's a better way. Great. You know, and so <laughs> there's that way. And then there's the book on Amazon. And then you can always contact me for a love map session. That's all an hour with me. And that's how it rolls, Sandy. And wow. it's been great being on your show, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for for doing this awesome work that you're really making change and helping people rewire their brains and really make the change that lasts and giving so many people hope that they can have the love they want. It's never too late. So thank you so much. Thank you. And um, and I'm glad we're working on the same page with love. You're doing wonderful work back there, back east. And uh, I salute. Uh, I, I love your idea of the last first date. I love it. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening today. And if you love our show, please go and give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever wherever you listen. Uh, It really helps our show be known to more people and be found. So thanks so much, and I hope you go on your last first date very soon. 